Last week, we talked about uh, putting things off. And, and the, the statement I made was that, that who we are directs and informs and should shape what we do. Who we are, our identity, should direct and, and inform and shape uh, how we live and what we do. And so much of our lives are, are kind of the other way around. You know, it, it's our pursuit of, of activity and acclaim and excellence that we pursue in order to be able to say, I am enough. I am affirmed. I am successful. And we, we, we try to succeed in, in, in careers. We try to succeed in relationships. We try to succeed in our own personal pursuits. And I'm not saying it's bad to pursue good things, but, but the Bible says that those things do not determine who you are. Rather, God determines who you are, and you want to live out of that. And so we talked about last week that since we are Christians, since we trust in God, if we trust in God, then we are to put off things that are counter to who God is, counter to who Christ is, counter to his character and nature. We talked about putting to death what is earthly in us. And all of this putting to death and putting down was was further reflection upon what what Pastor Jermaine talked about, about setting your mind on things above and not things below, about orienting your mind and your your attitude and your thought processes, not according to the way the world does, not according to the the common uh, sense wisdom of of our world, but according to Christ and how he lived and what he said and, and what the word of God tells us, setting your mind on things above. And so we talked about putting to death those things that that aren't in line with that, sexual immorality, uh, envy, uh, anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. And this week, we, we, we say that not only do we need to put some things off, but we need to put some things on. Not only does uh, identity direct behavior, but, but I'm hoping that we'll see that identity empowers behavior. That identity empowers behavior. So we're going to talk about who we are and then we're going to talk about some things we need to put on, or other, in other words, what we ought to do. And then we're going to talk about one of the greatest things we can do or put on. Who we are, what we are to do, and one of the greatest things we are to do. We're going to read out of Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. 12 through 14. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read the word of God together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I thank you, God, that you have shown us how we ought to live out of the reality of who we are. God, I pray that you would impress upon us the the precious truth that you have chosen us, that you have made us holy, that you have poured out your love on us, 
And out of that sense of gratitude, out of that sense that we are accepted and received, Lord, I pray that we would feel the freedom and the power, the empowerment to live and act accordingly. God, I pray that you would, you would bring a definition today to those who are in the room and have not grappled with their identity in Christ. For those who have, who have said they trusted in Jesus, but, but that hasn't reached down deep into who they are. God, I pray that you would pour out your love, pour out your mercy, pour out your grace, that it might be a refreshing sip that would, that would, would soothe our souls. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to speak with us, to speak to us, to inform us, to convict us, to grant repentance, to give life and expressions of love. Speak to us, we pray, Holy Spirit, through your word, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can be seated. Paul continues his his encouragement, his exhortation to these Colossians, and he says, guys, not only do you kind of need to set some things aside, you need to put to death these things that are common in the world, but you need to really begin to incorporate some things. Now, one of the things that that we want to do, and one of the things we love, is is how-to manuals. I I remember being, uh, I was in IT, and I forever had, you know, three or four how-to things. You know, it was how to, how to set up a network, how to, you know, secure your network, how to program in, in Python. And, and it, I loved how-tos because it, 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 you went from not knowing anything to being able to put something together. And you, you, you had this sense of like, I can do this. There, there's, there's something really appealing to us about being able to do some things. You know, maybe you're into to self-help. Maybe it's not necessarily, you know, I want to be a mechanic or an engineer or a programmer, but, but I want to know how do, I, how, to be, how do I become a better person? You know, what things do I need to believe in and, and what activities do I need to incorporate? What, what rituals do I need to have in the morning? What's the best morning ritual? Do I wake up and get out of bed, put on uh, workout clothes, drink, a, a, you know, a, a gallon of water and go for a run because I'm, I'm awesome? Like, what are, what are the things that we pursue, the activities, the doing that we pursue in order to feel good about ourselves? And I'm not saying that these activities are bad. I mean, if you're in IT, you're reading forever, and that is your problem, not mine. <laughs> but, uh, but these are not bad things, but, but our temptation is to say to ourselves, what I do is who I am. And then we pursue things that we can control and do. We say, what I am, or what I do is who I am, and I do this thing really well. And then we quietly ignore the fact that I do a lot of these other things really poorly. And we try to build ourselves up on a false pretense. And here Paul is saying, no, no, no. You are, you are being defined differently. And you aren't being defined You aren't being defined by your own choices and um, your own sense of who you ought to be. You're being defined by God. He says, put on 
But then he pauses and he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he says, put on then, right? When, when there's a then, was a therefore, that's an indication that you need to refer back to what he was saying before. And in the previous verse, he talks to me and he says, you know, we, we're going to put off our old nature. We have a new nature, a new self. And he's not just talking about individually, but God is constituting a new people. In the Old Testament, God had the, the covenant people, the Israelites, they were his people, and God said, you are my chosen people. You are my holy people. You are my beloved people. And here he says, you know what? Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Guys, I'm creating a new people. You're new, you're new, you're new, you're new. And because you guys are all new together, you're a new corporate entity. You are the church. And so he says there, guys, it, since He's creating this. You need to put on what? As God's chosen ones, as his holy and beloved ones. I'm giving you a new identity. You see, the Gentiles, the Colossians are, are Gentiles. They're not necessarily Jews. There may have been a few, but, but by and large, they are Gentiles. They were not part of the people of God. And throughout the New Testament, we see God adding the Gentiles to the people of God. And all the people here, for the most part, can say, amen. Thank you, God. My dad is not Jewish, and my mom is very Korean, so... I'm not, I'm a Gentile of various forms. You're, you're pro, this is for you. And if you're a Jew here and you're Jewish, that's great too. There's other parts of the Bible that invite you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior as well. But here, he's saying we're adding to who God is, or who's God's people. And so he uses these three designations, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved and so I wanted to talk about this. This is who we are. We're God's chosen ones. You are, if you're in Christ, God's chosen one. He says in, Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, I've said this before, but he says, I bless God. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what, who has blessed us in Christ, who has given us blessings, who has done good things to us through and in and by means of Christ Jesus, in the heavenly places, they're, they're held there in the heavenly places, and sometimes we get to see some of the benefit here, here and now. And he says in verse 4, even as he chose us in him. When did he choose us? When we started doing better and we cleaned up our act. No. He says he chose us when we got right and we figured out that Jesus was better. No. He says he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. Before earth was a thing. This is old, the ultimate old school. God chose you before you were you. God chose you before anything was anything. In his, in his mind's eye, he was creating the people that he was, he was going to create. He was thinking about who he was going to create, and he was thinking to himself, you know what, Rosa, I choose you. And he wasn't looking at Rosa's life and saying, you know what, Rosa's going to live a good life. I'm going to choose her. No, Rosa, God was thinking about Rosa and saying to himself, I love her. I'm going to choose her. He chose us before the foundations of the world. In 1 Peter, uh, Peter reflects on this in, in a slightly different language, but it's, it's basically the same thing. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
says this, but you, talking to the Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. God has chosen you to be his. He's chosen you to be his. When someone adopts a child, they don't, from my understanding, they don't usually have a conversation with the child and say, what do you think, buddy? Like, let's have a conference. You tell me what you have to offer, and I'll tell, me, tell you what I have to offer, and we're going to merge. And it's not a merger. It's a, it's a, it's a loving, non-hostile takeover. <laughs> like, there, there's a love. There's an there's a acceptance. There's a, I'm taking you in as my own. I'm giving you my name. There's nothing that I'm, I'm if, you know, by the grace of God, there's nothing that I'm trying to get from you, but I'm trying to give to you. He's chosen us. Again, to go back to Ephesians, it says that he chose us, and he talks about that choosing. He predestined us for adoption. So the choosing was, was one aspect, but not only does he say, you know what, I, I love you, but he says, I love you, and I'm going to bring you into my family. Right? The God, God is so gracious to you that he doesn't just say, you know what, I'm going to take your, you know, we go to court, and the judge says, you know what? I'm going to expunge your record. You may go. Like, that's awesome. I'm thankful for that. I may or may not have gotten a ticket and had to go to court and had it dealt with in a gracious and, and merciful manner. I know. You know, it was Andy. It wasn't me. No. It was me. Um, that would be great. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a, a record that is, that is clean. He says, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't, this isn't just a, 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 a transactional thing. I'm, I want you. I love you. I don't, I'm not just interested in dealing with your issues. I want you as a person. And that's a radical reality. And the more honest we can be, part of the reason that, that the Bible talks so plainly about sin is because we can't appreciate the love of God until we appreciate the depth of our sin. If our, if our appreciation of, of how, how sinful we are is shallow, then our love is shallow. He who has been forgiven much loves much. He says that we are chosen. We are chosen. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you have experienced life and you are not chosen. You were abandoned. You were not chosen. You were abused. You were not chosen. You were called a mistake. In light of what I talked about at the beginning, some of you, I, I know within our larger church body, were not chosen. Your life was intended to be taken out, but by the grace of God, it didn't succeed. So some of you come and you, and, and you struggle with this, but I want you to hear me. Part of the gospel is not just that you don't have to go to hell. Part of the gospel is that you get to see your father. And he's a good father. You're chosen. He goes on and he says, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Holy, set apart, dedicated to God. Holiness I think sometimes gets gets a bad rap, and we, we think of it just in terms of, you know, you're not allowed to dance, and you can only wear certain things. You know, if you're not wearing a tie, 
You know, we don't go to one of those holy roller churches. Which, by the way, you know, if people are trying to be holy, don't make fun of them. Because God's not about that. Um, in Deuteronomy 4.2, it says this. Um, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Do you hear how there's the combination treasured possession, beloved, chosen, and what? Holy. Because you know what? God is holy. God is holy. You know, a crazy thing I learned about soap? Soap can't hold bacteria. Like it's intended to break down bacteria. We don't do it in America, but there are countries where you, you have a soap bar in like a public restroom. And it sounds gross to me because I'm like, that's someone else's soap bar. They've touched it. But the soap itself has the, has the characteristic of breaking down bacteria. So it's, it's supposed to be clean because it's clean. Anything that touches it, you know, if you wash your hands for 20 seconds, sing happy birthday to yourself twice, is clean. We need to go tell the kids that in the back. Um, God is clean. Anything he touches, anything that he calls his own, is clean. It has to be clean. This is the, the terrifying thing about judgment is because one day we will come into the presence of God unmitigated, unmediated presence of God. And if you're not clean, you're dead. He, he is holy. And he chooses us and he sets us apart for his purposes. Again, I, I say to you, some of you have felt purposeless. Some of you have been told your life doesn't matter, it doesn't mean anything. The way people have treat you, treated you has, has communicated you are worthless. What, what the world has told you, what maybe your, your family members have told you, what, what people you've had relationships have told you is that you're not worth it. But God says if you're in Christ, you are what? Holy. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to save you and, and you can go your way, I'll go mine. No, he says you are now mine. You're my child and you're under my holiness and protection. You're set apart. You're in a special status. Not because of anything within and of yourself, but because your God is holy. You are, you are holy. One of the implications of this family is that you are not your own. I am not my own. And, and I don't get to, to live my life just based on what I want to do. And I'm thankful for that most of the time. And, and when I'm not thankful for it, I'm usually dipping into sin. God, God has purchased you by the blood of Jesus Christ. If, if you've trusted in him, if you've trusted in God as your Lord and Savior, if you've said, I turn away from sin and I trust in you for salvation, for new life, for redemption, you're not your own. You are holy. In the Old Testament, they had what was called the tabernacle. And, and before the temple was built, before Jesus came, the place where God's presence resided was in this uh, tent called the tabernacle. And there were instruments in the tabernacle that could only be used for the purposes that they were intended for in that tabernacle. You wouldn't go and take one of the forks and then go grill a steak and then come back and wash it off and bring it. Because that was, that was not its intended purpose. And all of those things, the, the, Moses, when he was instituting 
the use of the tabernacle, he took blood from, some, from sacrifices and literally sprinkled everything. Like we think of holiness as like, oh, clean. But he sprinkled blood. I don't know if you've been around blood, but it's not, it smells irony. It's, it's kind of gross, slightly viscous. And, it, and it, it creates a visceral response in us because it's, it, it's related to death. And, and it costs the death of an animal to bring holiness to the instruments of God. And for you and me, it costs the death of God's son, Jesus Christ, to bring holiness to us. And so I don't want you to take lightly the fact that you have been set apart for a specific purpose. Anything that would say otherwise is a lie. And, and I would further say that that purpose is not something that you determine. Now, that God gives us freedom. Some of you are engineers. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. Some of you are um, doing other things. My brain just went, you work for the government. You're, everyone's a contractor. You're a contractor. What do you do? I work for the government. Doing what? Can't talk about it. Okay. You're a space ninja. Whatever. I'm not saying that, that you don't have freedom to decide those types of things, but, but what your life is for, how you are to honor God is not up to you. He says we're holy. And that would be enough. But he goes on and he says, he says that we're beloved. And, and you could skip over that and you're like, okay, I'm beloved. Or dearly loved is some translation. Say, well, that's nice. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, dot, dot, dot. But he says, no, 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 no. You're, you're beloved. You're loved. Deuteronomy 4 puts it this way in, in Deuteronomy 4, chapter 37. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, presence by his great power. Right? He, he, God loves and that love is a motivating love. It's not just like a nice, warm feeling. We went to this place called Muthru the other day, and uh, I had a, a butter pecan uh, cone, and I loved it. And I had nice, warm feelings. But that's not the love that he's talking about. God's love is, is an active, motivating, I'm going to do something love. And he, God loved the, the people of, of Israel and chose people and brought them out of Egypt. Because God loved them, he saved them. You're beloved family. That means that God has chosen to save you. He's chosen to act on your behalf. Any, any father or mother who, who has, has seen that child in, in need, in danger, knows what it means to be beloved. Like You do what it takes to to get your child in a place of safety. You do what it takes to, to heal their wound. You do what it takes to comfort them. We are beloved. In Matthew chapter 3, um, verse 17, we, we see that Jesus, before he's done anything, before he's done any miracles, before he's done any ministerial work and really begun to pursue the purpose of God in, in his three years of ministry on earth, he goes and he gets baptized and it says in verse 17 that as he comes out of the water, 
John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God was pleased with his Son before his Son had done anything. Hear that again. God was pleased with his Son before his Son had done anything. Fathers love their children because they are their children, not because their children do things. If that's, if that's been an orientation in your life of loving your children because they do things, loving them conditionally, I, I would ask you and beg you to repent today and love your children because they're your children. And I say that in no judgment. I've had to repent of that. God loves us because he loves us. God loves us because he loves us. That's encouraging because that means there's nothing that you have done that can invalidate his love for you because his love for you is never based on what you've done. There's nothing that you have done that can invalidate God's love for you because God's love for you is never based on what you've done. The, the, the relationship that, that Jesus models for us is intended to give us a glimpse into what God wants us to experience. There are differences and distinctions between God the Father and God the Son loving one another as, as members of uh, participants in the Godhead. Three, three persons, one God. There's some unique mysteries that we don't participate in. We, we don't become part of God. However, we do become legitimate sons and daughters of God. And so we can see God's pleasure of his son and think to ourselves, God, because of Jesus Christ, you're pleased with me. Because you've adopted me, you're pleased with me. We're beloved. Again, I quoted Ephesians chapter 1, but it says he predestined us for adoption. Not, not when we got cleaned up, not, not when we started doing things well, but before the foundations of the world. In 1 John Chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, in this is love. In other words, this is a definition I'm about to give you of love. Not that we've loved God. Your, your definition of love is not what you've done for God, right? That doesn't define love, and in fact, it's probably wrong. You need to adjust it. But he says this, it's not that you've loved God, but that he loved us and what? And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He sent his son to assuage the wrath that God has toward us because of our sin, to satisfy his justice. The world doesn't want to say that God might be angry. And I'm not interested in having a, you know, a, a, a you know, Bible thunk being angry moment, but there is truth to the fact that God is not happy about sin. And the problem with sin is, is, is it's, it's not in your pockets. You can't just, oh, there's a sin. Go ahead and do what you got to do, God. I'm a sinner. Just as if you tried to take the blood out of me, I will die. If he tries to judge the sin in me, I will die. And so God shows his love for us in that Jesus was treated like I ought to have been treated. So that I might be treated like Jesus ought to have been treated. He's loved us. That is love. He says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Don't kid yourself. 
you're not as loving as you think you are. I say that because I know me. And <laughs> unfortunately, we are made of the same stuff. I wish that you were made of something different than me, but you're not. So knowing me, I know that you guys are sinners. Now, you're probably way better sinners than I am, but you're sinners. And so he says, we love, not because we're awesome, not because we're so sophisticated, so in touch with a sense of love, because, but because he has given us an example, an expression of love in the son, Jesus Christ. This is who you are in Christ. This is who you are. It is 11, 13, and I have not even begun to talk about what we do. That's okay. Because I'm not interested in you doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. You, there are people who come to church because that's what you do to be a Christian. You read the Bible and that makes you a Christian. You pray, and that makes you a Christian. You do things, and that makes you a Christian. No, you're a Christian because God chooses you, and, you, and he saves you. By grace, you've been saved through faith, not, not by your own works, so that no one may boast. We have to make a choice here. What are we going to do? This is who we are. If we're going to talk about, I want to unpack what we are to do in a way that's, that gives it the time and attention that it needs. So I, I, let's just sit here for a moment. And, and I, I want the Holy Spirit to minister the identity of Christ to you. And I don't mean the identity who is Christ, but the identity that you have in Christ if you are here and you're a Christian, this is who you are. You are chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. If you are here in this room and you are a Christian, regardless of what your experience with your father or your mother or your girlfriend or boyfriend or friend or spouse or enemy or life situation, if you are in Christ, you are chosen by God. You are set apart for his purposes, his good purposes, and you are loved. Not just, not just casually appreciated, not just mildly, affectionately uh, doted upon. No, but you're passionately loved with a conviction and a, and a perseverance that is willing to look at death and say, I'm going to overcome even that. The love that God has for you overcomes death. The love that God has for you makes us more than conquerors. Not because we're that much more awesome, but because God takes our sin and our failure and our brokenness and even uses those things for our good. And so even in the bad, God does it for our good so that even in our losing, God makes us winners. That is what it means to be more than a conqueror. Some of you need to respond today in gratitude. You've taken it lightly. You've thought about your sin lightly. You've thought about God's salvation lightly. You've become bitter and angry and frustrated because you've forgotten how much God has saved you from. 
Some of you need to hear that God loves you because God loves you. You've been told if you would just do better, if you would just be better, if you would just act better, you could be more lovable. And God says, no, 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 no. Before the foundations of the world, I chose you. And in your mother's womb, I formed you. And right now, I am with you. Some of you need to hear that and receive the love of God, the love of the Father. And some of you need to recognize that your life is not your own. That you've been living life in such a way as to say, God, I'm thankful that you're my Savior, but I am my Lord. You've not treated your life as holy, as set apart unto God. You've treated it as set apart unto myself. And you've treated God as your, your sidekick and your wingman. And today you need to repent. And you need to ask God, what would you have me do with my life? And he'll be faithful to answer. He'll be faithful to answer through scripture. He'll be faithful to, to answer through the men and women who are available to disciple you in your life. He'll speak to you directly through your Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit in you. you know, some of you, as an example, you've got things coming to mind. This, this awkward situation that you know is bad and you did something you shouldn't have done, you need to repent. Some of you, you there's a pain that you don't want. There's this like room in your house, in your mental house, and you're like, I don't want to go to that room. And God's saying, let me talk to you about that room. Some of you, you you've ran on ahead and you're like, you're not looking back because you don't want God to tell you that's wrong. You need to stop doing that thing. And I'm asking you, turn around and ask God, what do you want me to do before you keep running? This is who we are. And next week we'll talk about what we do in light of who we are. But for today, let's pray. Father God, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you are God and I'm not. I'm so thankful that I'm not God, that I'm not the Lord, that I'm not in charge. God, I'm so thankful that I'm not the one who decides my destiny. I'm not the one who directs my path. But God, you are sovereign. You are Lord. You direct my path. You have authority. God, I thank you that your son Jesus Christ died so that I might experience your love. I thank you, God, that, that you have chosen us in Christ before the foundations of the world. I'm, I'm thankful, God, that you have treated us and you, you have told us that you love us because you love us. I'm thankful, God, that you have called us into adoption, that you've welcomed us into the family, that you've given us a spiritual hug, that you've said, you're mine. God, I thank you that you've taken our, our old identity and said, that's not who you are, this is who you are. You are mine. Some of you, God is saying over your life, you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. And he's not saying it in a, meaning, in a mean way. He's saying it as a father who's saying, come to me, you are mine. Don't let these other things or these other people try to trick you into, into thinking that you're theirs. You're mine. Let me love you. Let me show you what, what you were always created to be, intended to be purposed to be. Let me, let me heal those areas of pain. Let me bring strength to obey. 
Let me bring forgiveness to bear in your life. Let go of the things that you hold on to, to to protect yourself. Let go of your sin. Trust me, you're mine. That is who we are. We're God's chosen ones. We're set apart for him. We're loved by him. God, we thank you that that is who we are. And if you're in this room and, and you've never you've never responded to the call of the gospel, the gospel says that we are sinners in need of a savior and that the way that we become, the way that, that God works that salvation in us, that we come to realize that he's adopted us is by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, by turning away from sin, turning away from our own sense of self-righteousness and turning and trusting in Jesus Christ. If that's you today, if you'd like to pray and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want you to raise your hand. It's not, it's not magical. There's nothing magical in the raising of their hand. It's just a response to what God is doing. Awesome. Once your hand's up, you can put it back down. And you just pray with me, God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I trust you. I put my trust in you, Jesus, to make me right, to reconcile me to the Father, to forgive my sins, to cleanse me, to make me clean, to make me usable for your purposes. And God, I pray that you would Help me to walk in a manner that pleases you, my Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Family, I love you, but more importantly, God loves you.